Can you um, join me in praying one more time? The Bible is very clear that we're to pray always without ceasing. Amen? Father, I recognize that you are powerful. That you are able to do things in your boundless ability that we can't even imagine. I thank you for this opportunity to gather together around the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are present, working in us to unveil understanding and wisdom. I present myself as an instrument in your hands. Use me to bless your people. Lord, I also believe that you've intentionally drawn people here who need to either begin or restart a relationship with you. And today, given the opportunity, nothing's going to stop your people from doing just that. I also recognize that in this place, there are men and women who are looking for a faith home, that they want a place where they can congregate together and grow in the word of God. Lord, given a chance today, nothing is going to stop them from doing that here at Celebration International Church. Lord, I recognize that you are a God who is faithful and that these are a people who are victorious. Say victorious. And so, Father, no one and no thing can stand in our way and stop us. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Now, I believe that we need to be active together. So I want you to say this faith confession with me. As we've been saying this every day of this new fiscal year, I want you to say it with me. It's up on the screen. Ready? You guys got it ready? You got the faith confession ready to go? It's coming. We got it. All right, ready on three. One, two, three. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. Walk in faith, not sight. I claim promises. Pursue passionately. And prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is my proof. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to launch into to the word of God. How many of you have ever run out of gas? Come on, let's be embarrassed together here, okay? How many of you have ever run out of gas? It's, it's just, you know, how it's possible. It makes no sense in today's day and age. The car basically drives us to the gas station, you know, between all the indicator lights on the dash, all the alerts that go off, the bells and whistles. You know, in my car, a, a, a pop-up shows up on my screen and it says, do you want me to find you the nearest gas station? It's embarrassing, but I've run out of gas. And for me, it's my preoccupation. I'm preoccupied. My mind goes elsewhere, and I miss the light. I miss the station. And ever since I moved to Millis, there's, there's like, once you go past Natick, there is one gas station between my house and Natick. And like, I think about it all the way to getting to the gas station. And then when I get to the gas station, my mind gets entertained by other things and I go past it. And so there's been many a days when I'm like, oh, Jesus, get me home. And I start praying. It's preoccupation. Last week, I was so preoccupied with all the amazing things God was doing among us here. We had an incredible week with Evangelist Matthias. Amen? Come on, if you were blessed, say amen. Especially Saturday and Sunday. I was so preoccupied with all that God was doing among us that, Leilani, your question, where are you? Your question on Sunday morning, like, totally went over my head. She she asked me before service, hey, are we going to pray for Israel today? And it just went totally over my head. Because I was preoccupied with everything God was doing. You know, in my mind, this is how that conversation went. Oh, wow, my worship director is uh, doing as the Bible does and says. She's asking me, like a good, you know, Bible-believing person, that we should pray for Israel. 
And I'm like, kudos to her. I got to give her congratulations. She's being a good, faithful disciple. And then my mind went back to the service and everything that we had going on and, and all the things we had to cover that I totally missed her question. But you know, by the time Sunday evening got, you know, I was getting settled and getting ready for the week and, you know, I happened to go online. I started to see all the pictures and read the headlines and see the posts. And I saw the devastation that's going on in Israel. And then I read that it said, Israel is at war. Friends, Israel is at war. And that statement should arrest us. That statement should make us stop in our tracks. Israel is at war. But why, why are we frozen in this moment when we hear such a thing? Is it because now there's going to be another conflict that's going to limit the supply chain everywhere? Should we be arrested in that statement because it's going to drive up inflation at the gas pumps? Absolutely not. Although those things may happen. The Bible predicted thousands of years ago that the end time events would revolve around Israel and more specifically Jerusalem. We don't have time today to read everything, but mark this as your homework, amen? You're getting homework today. Go read Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38, Zechariah 12. Read math, uh, Luke chapter 21. Read the passages in Matthew that talk about the end times. Read, read, read your Bibles, and you're going to realize that so much revolves around this little tiny land. Anytime that you hear an attack on Israel, that should perk up your ears and you should pique your attention. For Jesus said, when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21, 28. The latest development has got people Googling Bible prophecy. Look at the talk shows and the podcasts. People are asking the question, what does this mean? What does the attack and the war on Israel mean? What should I do? People are wondering what's going on. So considering this, I want you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, because Jesus himself left us an ironclad response plan. And here's the best part. It's one step. Say one step. One step. How many of you can remember one thing? No, come on. Let me, let me hear this. How many of you can remember one thing? Man, let me pray right now for those who can't answer that question. Jesus, have mercy. It's one step. What should we do? Israel is at war. Matthew 25. Let's read in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight... There was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, make it practical in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Jesus says that the kingdom will be like ten virgins with torches that were going out to meet the bridegroom. Don't get tripped up on the word virgin. Use bridesmaids instead. The bottom line is these ladies are part of a bridal party. And they were there to be part of the celebration. To take care of the bride. And to be ready to participate in the endeavors of that day's wedding feast. This is a parable. 
For those of you who don't know what that word means, it's basically a story with an intended teaching point. Jesus would often speak in stories, utilizing the concepts of his day in order to bring out truth that would connect with people um, and they would understand spiritual implications. So Jesus begins to speak, clearly employing the imagery of a wedding. In those days, the wedding ceremony was often preceded by a betrothal period. This was like an engagement. But the engagement was way more elaborate and binding than today's engagements of, hey, honey, will you marry me? For you to get out of a betrothal was pretty much tantamount to you having to apply for divorce. So much so that we recognize in the Gospels when Joseph was betrothed to Mary, he wanted to divorce her. Why? Because the only way you would break off a betrothal was if there was infidelity. And he thought maybe Mary had slept with somebody because how is it that she's pregnant? So he wanted to put her away quietly. There is a betrothal period that is very serious. And then from that process, the bridegroom would leave and spend a period of time going to go get preparations ready so that he could come back one day and pick up his bride to bring her home, usually to his father's house, where he had built an extension on his father's house. And there would be the place that he would now start his life with his honey. Are you following me? This is Bible times, ancient Near East, in the land of Palestine, in the region of Israel, what people used to do. And so when the bridegroom would come, it wasn't an announced time. They didn't know exactly. Typically, it was about a year, but they didn't know if it was going to be you know, longer or shorter. It depended on how long it took to get the house ready, to get everything ready. This kind of reminds us of a scripture, doesn't it? Behold, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And when it's over, I will come back so that where I am, you can be with me also. Jesus is using imagery of a wedding. And so at the time that the betrothal period was over, the bridegroom and his party would make their way back home to the home of the bride. And he would come to pick her up and they would, either, they would take, them, take them to the house of the groom or to some other agreed upon place to there have the wedding. And after that wedding ceremony was done, there was going to be a great feast. And that feast would last several days. Somebody say party. It was a big party for many, many days. So this procession would often be taking place at night when torches would be used. Lamps would be used so that it would cause a greater spectacle. It would be able to be seen in the middle of the night and all the village would rejoice and it would be a happy occasion because they could see the beautiful lights and the parade of people and the singing and the dancing and the celebration that is happening. And so it would often happen at night. So the 10 girls in the story, they belong to the bridal party and they have a job to do. They are part of the procession and the parade. They have to carry these lights and these torches. They have to receive the bridegroom. He has to be welcomed. They have a job to fulfill. This is the context that Jesus is speaking. He doesn't elaborate all these details. Why? Because when we read the Bible, you have to understand that we Americans here in this country, thousands of miles removed and years and years and years removed, we're not the original audience. Hello. The original audience understood all of these things. And so when Jesus starts speaking about ten virgins with lamps, everyone knew what he's talking about. Are you with me? Amen. So let's drive home the point of the story. I told you it's one step. What should we do in the midst of all that's going on in Israel? What should we do in the midst of today's society where everything seems to be dark and things seem to be bleak and situations seem to be dire and getting worse? Let me, let me just tell you, there, there's good things happening. There's no doubt about it. But there's also a lot of bad things going on. What should we do? Number one, get ready. 
for the delays are longer than expected. Get ready, for the delays are longer than expected. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, something happened. The fact that these girls fell asleep is not the problem. It tells us, though, that because they fell asleep, that the bridegroom took a little longer than they anticipated. He was a little later than they expected. They were ready to go. Their hair was done. Their nails were done. Like they had everything ready. They were excited. They had their snack. They were ready to hit the road. And yet he did not show up when they expected. He took a little longer than they thought. Church, for 2,000 years, we know that Jesus has been coming back, haven't we? For 2,000 years, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back. So much so that in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus alludes to his return. He says, however... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, hey, when when I come back, will I find faith? Newsflash, I'm coming back, y'all. I'm coming back. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. At Jesus' ascension, after he was raised from the dead, and he stuck around for about 40 days or so, and he's talking and appearing to his disciples, when that period was over, And he is ascending into the clouds. Two angels show up on the scene and they start asking the people. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Angels are speaking of his return. But then again, you look at the New Testament, read the apostles. Read the Apostle Paul. Read Peter, one of his closest disciples. And his closest disciple, Peter, counted on him. And he says in 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been coming back. Get ready. For the delay is longer than expected. Like me, you've probably been hearing this. How many of you, let me see, I'll show you. How many of you have heard this since you were a kid? Jesus is coming back. Let me see hands. How many of you have never gone to church, but you see people on the street corners say, repent, Jesus is coming home. Or you've seen it in the movies. We've been hearing this. For a long time. Friend, do not confuse a delay for a cancellation. Because some of us hear that. I've been hearing this all my life. And where is this Jesus? He's been coming back. Man, my mom used to tell me this so that I would act up. I wouldn't act up. I would act right. And I would listen. And I would be by the book. And I would follow the rules. And and, and my mom's been scaring me with this information since I was a child. Mom, where's Jesus? Do not confuse a delay for a cancellation. Cancellations release you from responsibility. Delays intensify your alertness. How many of y'all ever received an appliance at your house? Like you bought an appliance at Home Depot, a washer, a dryer, a stove. You know, you bought something. Maybe it wasn't an appliance. Maybe you bought something that was going to be shipped to you and they say, hey, the delivery window is from today until next year. Anybody ever had one of those? My gosh, it's like, can you give me like a time? I gotta go to work. I got responsibilities. They never tell you, I'll be there like within this 30 minute window. How many of y'all would say, praise the Lord, like, you know, this is a miracle if you heard that. You gotta take a whole day off of work. You take a whole week off waiting for the delivery to show up. But, but think about this. When they say it's gonna happen between 8 a.m. and 12 p.m., And by, you know, 1145, there's still no delivery driver. You come to 12 o'clock, there's no driver. How many of y'all in that moment say, you know what? He hasn't come yet. I think I'm going to go out and get lunch. I'm going to go to the restaurant and buy some food because I'm hungry and he didn't come at the right time. So I got to go. How many of y'all would leave the house and miss the delivery? The delay is not a cancellation. 
And some deliveries, if you're not there, you miss the delivery. They can't leave it. You have to sign for it. And so, you know, we become more alert the longer the delay happens. Now, every moment we're thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I could go over here and do this. Do I have time to take a shower real quick? What if I take a shower and they show up when I'm in the shower? Like we become more alert when the delay goes longer. Amen? Both groups, the five wise and the five foolish, they fell asleep. So that's not the problem. They had to go and live life. In the midst of the delay, life has to go. And it's actually prudent. Let me get some shut-eye right now because when he shows up, I need to be ready to go and I need to have my energies because it's going to be a great procession. Friend, I want you to understand that the issue is that the delay did not negate their need for preparedness. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. Yes, it's taking a little longer than we anticipated in our minds. But he knows the fullness of time. Galatians 4.4. In the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born of a virgin. He knew exactly the right time Jesus needed to come. And the Bible tells us that he is waiting for the moment in which he comes. He's ready. It's just a matter of when it's the most opportune time for him to come through. The foolish failed to prepare. The wise were ready. What do we do in light of all that's going on in Israel? What do we do today? We get ready because preparations are more demanding than suspected. Verse 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. The foolish virgins claimed that they were running out of oil in their lamps. Let me just tell you that the word used for lamps here is lampas. And this word is not the same word that you find all throughout the New Testament. It's used about five or six times in the New Testament here. And it is a word that's more resembles a torch. So the consistency of it is a little bit different. A stick that has some sort of bowl, that has some sort of rag that is doused in oil and lit on fire so that it can produce a greater light. It's not something that you would light up and take inside of a house but it's something that you would put on the outside of your house or that you would carry as you go out into the darkness so that it would cast light onto your path. Our lamps are going out. Really? Like, really? Stop and think about this. How is that possible? How is it possible that all five of these ladies' lamps went out at the exact same time? Like, how is it, were they lighting their lamps and leaving them on inside of the house while they're going to sleep? How many of y'all go into your house and turn on every light before you go and lay your head on the pillow to sleep? I know some of y'all like to sleep with the TV on, you got the static noise and you got the lights going, but how many of you leave the lights on purposely, every light, and you want it bright light so that you can sleep? Hands? How is it? that they've run out of light. Would there not have been normal light in the place that they were in? Why did the five run out at the same time? At the very moment that they're preparing the lamps because the bridegroom is here, now it runs out? I don't buy it. I don't buy it one second. Some of your Bibles say they did not have enough oil. They didn't bring enough oil. Well, if you look at the Greek language, there is no word for enough here or, 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 or they forgot to bring extra. My Bible says they brought no oil. The reason the wise virgins brought oil was because the oil was carried in flasks and it would be added to the lamp at the time of need. You would carry the oil on the side and then when you needed to light the torch, you would add oil to the wick. 
There must have been some residue of oil on the rag that the five foolish ladies had. And when they got up and they said, you know what, there's some oil on the rag. Let me light this thing up. Hello, newsflash. It went out. Help me. Give me some of yours. Share with me. These ladies never brought oil. That would explain why all five of them went out at the same time. That would explain that at that moment, they're running out is really not running out, but it's an excuse. It's an attempt for them to save some face and not look so foolish. We came, we had one job, and we didn't do the job. So, hey, we just ran out. Can you help me out, Sharon? Give me some of your oil. And the ladies say, look, there's not enough. If I give you some of mine, then you know what? It's going to run out. And then instead of five virgins and bridesmaids that are going out to meet the groom and to participate in the procession and light the way so that we can all get to the place we need to go, all of us will be out in the dark because there's not enough for all of us to share. Go out, get your own. The text teaches us, church, that these ladies were incredibly foolish. They didn't bring enough oil. And I don't like this word about enough because it doesn't also under, uh, connect with the interpretation of this parable and the point of the parable. If we are saying that they didn't have enough, then look at how silly this becomes. Because the oil here is a representation of salvation. That these ladies did not have salvation provided for them and their salvation ran out. How many of y'all are trying to serve a God where your salvation could run out? No, no, I, I trust in a God where my salvation is secure. Where there's more than enough. And it's once and for all. It, it, it's completed. Not meaning that once saved, always saved, but it means that, you know what, in the middle of this trusting journey of God, there's not going to come a point where all of a sudden it's going to run out. It doesn't run out. These ladies, let me posit to you, were never saved to begin with. These five bridesmaids were never saved to begin with. They never had oil. Here's what they had. Empty lamps. They had empty lamps. They looked useful. They seemed to give the promise of light, but they never produced it. Let that sink in for a second. They looked useful. They seemed to give the promise of light, but they never produced it. Ouch. What does this mean for you and me? It's not enough for us to look the part, church. We must do the deed. Get ready for the preparations are more demanding than you suspected. You need more than just a lamp. You need to have oil within the lamp to light the way. You need to have something that is secure and ready for the moment when you need it. You need to be prepared. And so it's not just about looking the part. And oh, as a side note, some of us read the story and we start allegorizing things. Not everything in the Bible needs to be an allegory. This is a parable and it has a specific teaching message. The message is get ready. So some people read this and they say, oh, these five virgins. It's not like, you know, they're not wearing their WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? You should share with your neighbors. No, we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Freely you have received, therefore freely you should give. Oh, these ladies, they're very mean. They should have shared the oil in their lamps. But here's the point that Jesus is trying to make with the story. That you can transfer funds between bank accounts. You cannot transfer salvation among people. You can transfer funds in your bank accounts. But you cannot transfer salvation between mother to child, brother to sister, or spouse to spouse. When it comes to salvation, it's an individual matter. And every single one of us need to go buy it ourselves. And I'm not saying that you can buy salvation, but
but you need to go obtain it yourself. You need to have an encounter with Jesus yourself. You cannot come on this thing and say, Lord, and when the time comes and the bridegroom is here, mom, hook me up. Man, my husband, he's a fiery man of God and he prays and he reads the Bible. My wife is a prayer warrior. Dude, her very shadow heals the sick. When Jesus comes, I'm going to hit you right under that shadow. Preparations are more demanding than you anticipate. You can't just look the part. You got to walk the part. You got to do the deed. You got to produce the light. You got to experience Christ. You got to have him for yourself. You got to own him in your own right in life. It has to change and impact your life. Get ready for neglect will prove more devastating than anticipated. What do we do in light of all the wars and issues and rumors of wars and the earthquakes and the pestilence and all? What do we do? We need to get ready because neglect will prove more devastating than anticipated. Verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward... (laughs) Jesus doesn't, you know, in the story, doesn't give you all the in-betweens of what happened between when he came, how long it took to get there, what they did, how they danced, how they sung, what happened. He just gets to the bottom line because this is the point of the message. You got to be ready. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. If that's Jesus, tell him I'm I'm listening. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Lord of mercy. These foolish girls, they go out, they get some oil. Do they really though? I don't know. It's the middle of the night. Maybe they're thinking, you know what? (laughs) We already missed the boat anyways. (laughs) And uh, it's the middle of the night. Uh, We couldn't find any open merchants. And so... uh, Let's just go and maybe we just can get in. Hey, Lord, Lord, we're here. We got some oil. We're good. You know, it's already lit up here. There's a big party going on. And you got all the lights. You got all the fanfare, the music. The feast looks amazing, Jesus. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Hey, can we get in? We got our oil now. We're good. But we don't even need those. So we'll leave the lamps out here. Uh, can we come in? Um, I don't know y'all. Wait, hold up. Let's allegorize this thing. No, no, no. How would he not know them? They're they're bridesmaids in the bridal party. They have invitation cards on a table somewhere telling them what table they should sit at. There's a reserved section for them at the wedding feast. Yet the bridegroom himself, not even somebody else, the bridegroom says, I don't know you. How devastating this is. The door was shut. It indicated that this wedding feast, at any rate, there was a time to join the festivities, and then there was an end moment. Those who were in there and joined at the appropriate time came in, and those who missed it forever missed it. There's no overtime when it comes to God's plan, guys. We might get stoppage time in soccer. We might get an extra, you know, uh, uh, quarter or, 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 or extra time added to the clock. You know, this ain't baseball here, guys. You know, baseball is the only sport that we play here in America that actually does not have a time limit. Wasn't there a Red Sox game with the Dodgers that went like how many innings? It was like a six-hour game. Six hours. Lord, have mercy. I'm going to fall asleep. There is no extra time when it comes to the kingdom of God. See, there's two clocks that is associated with the kingdom of heaven. There is the clock on your life. Count the days. You should learn to count your days. 
It's appointed for man to live once, and then there is judgment. God has for us a certain clock, and that clock is running, and reality flash, none of us knows the time that our personal clocks will run out. That's why some of us will live to be a few years old or days old, and some will live to be over 100 years old. But none of us knows the time where death will come for us. The second clock is the clock of the Lord's kingdom. And nobody knows the time in which that clock will run out. And if we're not in the festivities before we die or before he returns, then we do not get into the wedding feast. Get ready. For neglect will prove more devastating than anticipated. God bless you. Imagine these girls. They had a place reserved. And he says, you can't come in anymore. The Bible tells us that in that day, there's going to be crying and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus says, those who are of my people, those who have received me as their Lord and have lived for me and have known me, they were ready. You come into the wedding feast. And for those who will not, he will send them forever into eternal punishment where the worm doesn't die and the fires cannot be quenched forever. Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. These words should arrest every single one of us. And when we hear of a war and a rumor of war and attack on Israel and a squirmish, that should arrest our soul and the words should be growing out into our hearts that if we know these signs, get ready for our time is near. Lord, will you say to me, depart from me for I never knew you. Lord, have mercy. The problem in this text is that some of them were ready and some of them were not. Some of them prepared and some of them had an opportunity to and they never did. So what can we know today? What are the signs that you and I have oil in the lamps? See, I don't want to just walk away saying I need to get ready, but how and what? And, and how do I know if I'm ready? How many of you wonder sometimes, Lord, please don't come back because I'm not too sure if, if you do, if I'm ready. Let me, let me give you some signposts. Let me give you some ideas, some signs, so you know that you are, in fact, ready to go when the bridegroom comes. Number one, you've got the promise of salvation. See, the Bible tells us that we should not be surprised that when Jesus comes, there will be a lot of surprised people, but we don't have to be surprised because we have some signs. We've got the promise of salvation. There is a promise in his word that all who believe in Jesus shall be saved. Say amen. amen. Romans 10, 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness and with the mouth and one confesses and thus has salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all who richly blesses all who call on him. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, church, before you have the provisions of God, you've got the promise of God. Before Abraham ever was a father, he had the promise that he was a father. So God changed his very name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many. You've got the promise 
What I want you to see is that salvation is the work of God. It's accomplished through faith in Jesus Christ. And if we place our faith in the death, resurrection, and the ascension of his son, that God will credit unto us salvation because we have believed by faith in him. He calls upon us to believe in the name of Jesus, assuming that if we place our trust forever, we are saved. Although we don't have to walk it out right now in the sense that we are in heaven, we are on earth with the promise, we are saved. But number two, sign that you are having oil in your lamp. You have a radically different life. Uh Uh-oh. Uh Uh-oh. Danger, Will Robinson. Uh Uh-oh. The second sign is, I have a promise, but I have a radically different life. Those who have come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ have entered into a radically different way of living. Maybe your conversion was not as drastic as Paul. Maybe you weren't a, you know, serial killer, persecutor of the church. But your life looks drastically different than it used to. I used to be out here in this world, wiling out, getting drunk, doing this, chasing these girls, doing all these things. But my life looks radically different. My life used to be all about me, myself, and I. But now my life is about the kingdom of heaven. I shall seek all other things, and he shall add all these other things unto me as I seek his kingdom. It has shifted my perception. I store up treasures for myself, not on this earth, but in heaven where the moth and and the thief does not come to rob and steal and destroy. My life looks different. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is I no longer who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know? Verse 9, that the righteousness will not in, unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the verbal abusive, the swindlers will not inherit the kingdom. Some of you once lived this way. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. Ephesians 5, therefore do not be partakers with them for you were all at one time in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. If you want to know if you're ready for Jesus to come back, your life doesn't look like the life of those in the world. Number three. Lord, am I ready? Let me ask you, what do you think about death? What are your thoughts concerning death? How ready are you to meet death? When the grim reaper shows up, are you ready to go? That's a joke, but think about this. How do you feel about death? Because Paul says, hey, for me to live is Christ. And for me to die It's gain. That's why he said, man, I'm torn. I'm torn. I want to so go up and be with Jesus. But I know that I should stay here because I still got things to do for your sake so that the word of God can reign in you and God can do a mighty thing. There's so much work for me to do, but I just want to go and be with him. Some of y'all get a doctor's report and, and it says something about death and you're like, frozen. And I understand there's things to be done on earth. There's family that we love. There's people that we need to take care of. There's things to be accomplished. Maybe we need to get our affairs in order. But every Christian that knows the word, 
Every person that has been saved. Those who have oil in their lamps. When that word death shows up and when death raises its ugly head, we do not have to fear because we do not go through this world like the world goes through it. Because we have salvation that is promised. We have a life that is different. And we have an assurance that even in the face of death, death has no sting. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, be likewise shared in their humanity so that though death could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet I do not know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by all. Some of us don't want to meet our maker because we're too attached to what the world has provided for us. Some of us, we have more treasures here than we do in heaven. Let me tell you, the moment you start investing in God's kingdom and you start getting ready, you start dealing with this issue of death and you become ready for the kingdom of heaven. When you start having more treasures up in heaven, you are way more ready for you to let go of everything that this world has to offer you. My invitation is start investing where it matters. I'm way over. Let me give you some additional signs. I got a bunch more signs, but I'll give you just two more. What's the sign that you're ready and you got oil in your lamp? You got eyes to see spiritual things. Those who are Christians can see spiritual truths that the world will not see. You can see things when you read this word that those who count it foolish can never see. That's why Jesus often said, those who have an ear, let them hear. 2 Corinthians 314, but their minds were closed. Say closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. When you have come into saving faith with Jesus Christ, he removes the veil from our eyes. And that which was right in front of us this whole time, always revealed in this scripture, finally jumps off the book and it comes alive in our spirit. But as we remain foolish, without oil, to this very day, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 2 Corinthians 4.34. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. If you have fallen in love with Jesus, and and the words of Christ has resonated in your heart, It is a signpost that you have some oil in your lamp and that you need to keep that oil prepared and ready. You need to foster that thing so you can keep on growing. I'll give you one more. The fifth sign that you have oil in your lamp is that there is an internal confirmation in your heart. The Bible tells us, That when we come into salvation, the very spirit of God comes to abide within us. The Bible tells us that we become the temples of the Holy Spirit. He does not come to reside in a building, in a structure. But God desires to, on the day of Pentecost, to pour out his spirit. And at that moment, it changed where he now resides upon every single believer. And the spirit comes to testify of the things of God and point us to the truth of God's word. That's why the Holy Spirit has no name. He's called the spirit of truth, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus. He is the one that teaches us and points us back to Jesus, the bridegroom. Romans 8, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. If you've got some conviction in your heart that yes, I am a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, that you have this ability to come in, you've been adopted, you have a sign that God has brought salvation into your life. There's more. Christians who have salvation have a deep desire to know God more intimately. And I think that speaks for itself. You can find the scriptures, do some homework of your own. Let me ask you, when's the last time that your body ached, that your spirit ached to know more of God, that you cried out and you said, Lord, I just want more of you. Lord, I, 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 you know, I see my bank account, God, and I just need some, some more money. I need, I need to figure out a side hustle and a third hustle and a five, fifth job. God, I need some more money. God, I, you know, I don't have enough time. I, my, my belly's getting bigger and I need to get more fit and I need to go to the gym. I got to find some time and I got this and I got that. When's the last time that we just said, God, I want more of you? That it ached within us. That it actually caused us to take out our calendar and say, I am canceling all my meetings today because I have to go spend some time with God. I am going to tell this person or that person on the phone, sorry, I'm on do not disturb. I cannot talk to you because I need to press into the Lord. I'm going to spend some time reading his word. When's the last time that you said, I need to find out when church is going to be open because I got to be around God's people. And I just need to be around this crazy group of people that are going to build my faith and show me the wonders of God. I need to get around other people who are believers, that they have testimonies of God's goodness. Because although my situation looks dark and desperate, there is a God who is alive and I just need more of him. If you haven't yearned like that, if you haven't repented and asked God to do something in your life lately, if you haven't cried out for God to move upon your marriage because, you know what, you just need him to crash over your house and to invade the space where you live with that broken relationship or whatever, then let me tell you, maybe it might be a sign that you're not ready, that I'm not ready. I'm going to invite the team to come on up. Would you stand with me? I don't know, I had an idea of where we're going. We're getting ready for next week and we're so excited for it. But this thing with Israel just gripped my heart. And God was giving me dreams over this week. Things that, you know, I'll just leave between me and the Lord, but it was bottom line. It's like, he's asking the question, are we gassed up? Maybe some of you guys drive EVs and Teslas and all that kind of stuff. So the question is, are you charged up? Is there gas in the tank and charge in the tank so that you can go and drive when the moment comes that you need to go? Is there oil in our lamps? Are we prepared for when the moment the bridegroom returns? Because church, he is coming back. And at that moment, there is no going to get ready. We have to be ready. The longer He's delayed. The more we should be alert. Some of us are going around listening to this person, that person, trying to figure out this Bible prophecy, that Bible prophecy. Some of us are even falling prey to people who are you know, saying that, you know, Jesus is coming back on this day, at this hour, in this place, and blah, 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 blah. And all of that is distractions. Here's what you should know. Get ready. Get your oil ready. Because it could be right now. In the blinking of an eye, he's going to return. The thief does not come and announce the moment he's going to break into your house. If he did, you'd be locked and loaded, ready for him. Not in Massachusetts, you'd have the police officers there locked and loaded. 
but you'd be ready. Have you ever thought about this? I thank God that he did not tell me the day or the hour. I thank God that he never expressed the exact calendar entry when he would come back. Because that tells me, it invites me to get ready every day, to live in light of his return, to press into him and know him every day. And I'd say, Lord, I'm going to live my life. 90% of my life will be lived in my own way, in my own time. And when 10% of time is left, in the last week before your return, I'm going to build up my faith. I'm going to get my oil lamps ready and I'm going to go. Think of the lifetime of intimacy that you would have missed out on. The legacy of miracles, signs and wonders that you would lose out on. But he says, no one knows the time. Just get ready because I'm coming. And in a way he's saying, just enter into a relationship with me. Come in for the ride of a lifetime. The procession is going to be off the hook. The party is going to be nice. The feast, whew, you don't even know what's, what's planned. It's going to knock your socks off. And he says, I want you to enter into that now, today. How amazing is it that in the midst of chaos, the world can look at you and say, why are you so solid, brother? Your world is falling apart around you, Leslie. Yet, you've got this great conviction and hope in your heart. Can I have some of that? Why wait for that day when he wants to do it in us today? every eye closed in this place. I want you to bow your heads. This moment is between you and Jesus. If he was to return right now, 11.45 a.m. on Sunday, October 15th, would he welcome you into his feast? Or would he say to you, depart from me, I never knew you? If you don't have a clear answer on this question, then today you have to run to this altar and you have to say, Lord, have mercy on my life. I need you in my heart. I want you as my Lord. I want to live with you, Father, through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, who came, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross was buried in the tomb was raised on the third day by the power of God and rose up into the heavens and has promised to return one day to take us to live and abide with him if we would only confess and believe if that's you this morning you've never said to Jesus I receive you as Lord of my life and Savior of my soul. Then I want you to just lift up your hand right now. I want to pray with you. If you have made this commitment before, but you have walked away and made life about your own thing, and you've stopped serving Jesus, you've walked away from the faith, you've done things that you know in your heart, you look just like the world. You're afraid of death. You don't have a promise in your life. There's no witness telling you that you're a son of God. You look the same like everybody else. If that's where you find yourself today, then you need to recommit your life to Christ. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hands right now. If you need to make a recommitment to Jesus, right now, God bless you.
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Church, this isn't about Pastor Brian. Jesus is coming back. We've got to be ready. Father, I thank you. thank you that as you delay, Lord, you do so out of your mercy, not wanting any to perish, but allowing ample time for us to repent, to turn, to come to you. Lord, you're going to do some incredible things on this earth. You promise that although the nations would rise up against Israel, that you would make them like an intoxicating drink, as it says in Zechariah. And that the nations would not be able to overpower them. For you fight for your people. God, as we look to you, I thank you that you've given us time. I pray that today you would speak to every heart. And that today men and women will remember, would be impressed that their lives have forever changed from this moment forward. That when you do appear, they are ready for you. But not only that, they're busy at work getting others ready until there is time. Seal this word in our hearts, Father. In the precious name of Jesus Christ.